The scripture reading this morning from John 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. I ask God's blessing on the reading of his word. So this morning we pick up this very familiar story that comes to us from John. And it's, it's unique to John. That is, it, it appears nowhere else in any of the Gospels. It only appears in John. This story of Jesus' first sign early in John chapter 2. And they're at a wedding celebration which uh, was usually like a seven-day affair I mean it was a long it was a big party I mean it's a it's a big party uh, going on and lots of people would be there and they run out of wine on day three so they're in a lot of trouble if this is a seven-day party <laughs> there are gonna be a lot of upset people uh, at this party and Mary is the one who first suggests a solution and goes to Jesus and uh, thinks that Jesus can do something about it. Uh, and there's a lot we could focus in on around this, around this story and, and try and tease out what is the author trying to tell us in this story of Jesus' sign of turning water into wine. There's a lot going on here. We could focus in on uh, the relationship between Jesus and Mary going on here and Jesus gets a little sassy with his mother, which none of us appreciate, I'm sure. Uh, you know, woman, what is it to me that we're out of wine? And uh, she's having none of that. She says, look, just do what he tells you. He's going to do what I'm asking him to do. <laughs> and, uh, of course, he does, right? Uh, but I think what Jesus' sass there is really kind of about his reluctance, especially in John, if you were to read John as a whole, you would see that throughout John, Jesus is very reluctant to have people 
gain their faith through his miracles. Uh, that he's very, he goes, I don't want it to be all about, you know, my, my miracles and the flashy things. I want your faith to be about a relationship that you have with God. So he's, kind, he's always kind of eschewing uh, the attention he gets from the miracles. So I would say that's probably what a lot of that is about. But we could focus in on that, but, uh, or we could, we could look at, uh, you know, this text and what it has to say about marriage. And in fact, if we in the Catholic Church, the marriage mass, the, the sacrament of marriage, this is the text for that day. I suspect that's because it's the only wedding in the Bible. <laughs> there's, re- there's really nowhere else to go. But to be honest, it doesn't really say much about marriage at all. Uh, it has nothing, this text really has nothing to do with marriage. In fact, this is the reception. It's not the wedding at all. Uh, and so it has nothing to do necessary it doesn't really say much about the wedding the wedding's kind of incidental to the uh, to the things that are going on here so i wouldn't that would be a short sermon which i know you would appreciate but uh, i i have more to say than that uh we could we could try to make it uh some kind of statement about about wine and alcohol and in fact i get i hear about this text probably more than any other from people uh, as justification for, uh, you know, some drinking and, uh, and enjoying uh, imbibing in a bit of that. And I myself probably have whipped out this text uh, on occasion when it was necessary. And uh, it, we could say a little bit about that, uh, about the fact that it's, it, it can be used. And while it's clear that Jesus is not a teetotaler uh, in this case, I don't think that's really what this text is meant to be about. It's not really about drinking or carrying on. Again, that's kind of incidental. It's a wedding, people are drinking, and Jesus uses that as an opportunity to make a statement. It's what, what is that statement that Jesus is really talking about? And I think it has to do with the symbolism that's going on here. The first thing I, th- I would say is that when they run out of wine, Jesus directs their attention to several, I think five, stone jars. And they, there are these huge stone jars that hold about 30 gallons apiece. 30 gallon jars. Hard to carry around. And we are told in John that these were used for ritual cleansing. Right? And what these jars were was... the. The Pharisees had developed this attention to purity. And they were concerned about all of that. And there is a tradition about before you eat and before you do certain things that you would, uh, the priests would ritually cleanse themselves, cleanse their hands, right? Now we all wash our hands before we eat. Uh, and that's normal. It wasn't necessarily the case back then. They didn't really get too hung up on that thing. But uh, they were supposed to do this. It, the priests were really the ones that were supposed to do that. Everyone else, they, they, there were certain times of the week you were supposed to clean, you, you know, wash your hands ritually. But it really wasn't an ongoing thing. Well, the Pharisees, in a search for purity, grabbed on to this idea and they said, we're going to wash our hands at every meal and in every when we wake up, when we go to bed. So they washed their hands several times a day. So you needed a lot of water that had been purified by the priests 
And the reason they're in stone jars was because stone jars could not be defiled. It was really the only vessel that was appropriate for sanctified water, for pure water that was used for these rituals. And the Pharisees would come in. First of all, they'd wrap themselves up in their best wedding garb and they would come in and a servant would haul one of these jars over and they'd pour a little bit of water in a bowl and they would, they would make a show of washing their hands so that everyone could see they were purifying themselves before they eat. I'm washing my hands as you can see here. Thank you. <laughs> and it was a big deal. It was, it was, it was, part, of their, it was part of their piety, right? To wash their hands. Well, Jesus looks at those jars. He says, see those jars over there? Those are the ones I want to use for this. And, you know, it, it, these jars really come to symbolize these, the empty rituals that cause Jesus in the, in the synoptic Gospels, in Luke and Mark, to say, you know, you are nice and clean on the outside, but inside you are so dead. You are like whitewashed tombs, all pretty and glossy out here, but inside everything is dead. Because this ritual had become a symbolic of a lot of things that were done for show, but failed to penetrate the heart, failed to really produce compassion and love and connection between a person and God. In fact, these rituals had come to draw lines and to build walls between people and God. These rituals were used to keep some people out and some people in. And Jesus says, I'm going to use those jars. And I want you to go dip a spoon in that jar and take it to the steward. And what came out of that jar was wine. And not just any wine. Really good wine. It was the good stuff. In fact, it, the steward commented. And the, the reason the steward was tasting stuff was because sometimes wine sitting around can go bad and you don't want to serve that to your guests. So the steward was responsible for making sure it was okay. And he takes a drink of it and he's like, wow, this is weird. You guys saved the best stuff for last. Usually people serve that first when people can really appreciate it. But three days in, they're really not in a, <laughs> in a tasting mood, right? So uh, he comments on how amazing that wine is. And what is Jesus trying to say here with this sign, with this water, this ritual water, this pure water that had become a barrier between people and a barrier to God. Jesus was saying, this wine, God's grace. This wine, God's grace. And I am producing something new here. The jars, the water, that's the old. Jesus says, I want to start new. And we're going to start with this wine that is God's grace. And it is not just a little bit of grace. It's not just a taste 
of grace. But it is gallons of grace. 150 gallons of grace being produced by Jesus for all to partake. It is an abundance of grace. Overflowing, filled to the brim grace that just is ugly. It's an orgy of grace being produced at this wedding, in this miracle. What God is saying is that God's, what Jesus is saying is God's abundance is so lavish. And God's grace is so generous that we will never run out. We can partake of it and partake of it and partake of it and there will always be more grace to be had. What is it in us? What is it in us that seems to resist this idea? What is it in us that seems to be so convinced of God's displeasure with us? You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. When we just can't seem to get over that feeling that somehow we are not measuring up. Somehow we are not quite worthy of this good wine. Oh, you know what? The, the bad stuff is good enough for me. Just bring me some of that. Like, bring me some of that stuff you have in the back. I don't need this really good stuff. Don't save that for a special occasion. <laughs> Why do we do that with our with God's grace? Somehow we feel that God had, like it like it's like it's uh, in short supply, and we don't want to take too much of it. And the rest of the time we we fill ourselves with guilt. And then maybe once in a while we'll sip at a little grace. You know, on a good Sunday, right? When the sermon's really, okay, I'll take a little bit of that grace. But so often we go, because really the jars of water really represent our guilt and our shame and the sinfulness that we are so convinced about within ourselves. That's what this was about. This constant reminder as we wash the sins from our hands. The constant reminder that we are not quite good enough. We are not quite clean enough. We are unworthy. Constant reminder of that. That's what the Pharisees had produced with this ritual. And Jesus says, Nonsense! There is so much grace that God is longing to give you. Drink it. Get drunk on it. Drink your fill of that grace until all you can taste is its sweetness as it lingers on your tongue like a good wine. Right? You know what? That's the other thing. Is this is not, this is not, uh, you know, uh, these are not, this is not finger food. This is a turkey leg, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, a bacchanal of grace uh, feast going on here. A big buffet that we can choose from. It's not, it's not Mogan David, right, that Jesus is serving up. It's a Chateau Margaux, about 85, right? That's what I'm talking That's the kind of grace that God is offering us here. Jesus in His first sign, 
is showing us that God is doing a new thing in Jesus' world. That all of this, these reminders of how awful and ugly we are only serve to create barriers between ourselves and a God who longs to have a deep and meaningful relationship with us. Don't let those jars of water come between yourself and all that God has. And Jesus brings us wine, grace, and begs us, drink our fill. Drink our fill until we are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter no matter what awful thing you are doing or thinking or no matter what you think is so heinous that God can't love you anymore drink enough of that grace until you realize that's not the way it is God loves us beyond our sins God loves us deeper than our own shame God loves us up and over our guilt. And there is nothing that can separate us from that. God's grace is there to convince us of that very fact. So this morning, it is my prayer that as you think on this text, next time you hear someone saying, well, Jesus turned water into wine, I think we should... (laughs) Uh, I want you to think about grace. I want you to, in fact, every time you drink wine, I want you to think about grace. (laughs) And enjoy that. (laughs) Celebrate that the way Jesus celebrated this grace in the context of wedding, the context of great celebration. Because it is worthy of celebration to know God's love that transcends all of our shortcomings, all that we think makes us unworthy. Let us pray. Great and loving God, Your gallons of grace come to us so abundantly. Help us to drink from that jar and enjoy that grace that we might be renewed that we might see ourselves as You see us, that we might live into that higher self that You call us to, that we might shed our guilt, our shame, that we might shed all of those things that have become walls between ourself and who You are for us. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.